Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Brought to you by Leave the Ring Network. All boxing. No filter. Oh! It's another knockdown. He's not getting up, Jim. He's not getting up, Jim. He's not getting up. No, he's been knocked out. Fisgianato's Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, fight fans. It is Friday, September 11th, and this is the last Fisgianato's podcast that I'm going to do on the Leave It in the Ring radio network, at least in this iteration. I am your host, Evan Rutkowski, former HBO sports marketing executive giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing on your screen and behind the scenes. And normally, I would say email me at fistianos at yahoo.com. I guess you can still do that. Or follow me on Twitter at fistianospod. I'm not even really tweeting right now. I'm not even really looking at Twitter. And we're brought to you by Ring Magazine and ringtv.com. But I tweeted this out last night. And... Like I said up top, this is going to be my last episode. We're not going to do a review section. Um, I know a lot of people who are listening aren't on Twitter, obviously, for probably good reasons, um, because you like having a positive outlook on life, especially during a pandemic. Um, But in case you missed it, Ring City was announced publicly after my last episode and before this one. I am part of the team there. What is Ring City? The easiest way to think about it right now is we are doing a version of Tuesday Night Fights of what they did for USA, um, and we're doing it on NBC Sports, uh, on NBC Sportsnet, and we're going to be doing it this fall. There will be three shows in this fall and more to come in 2021. Um, I've obviously given this a lot of thought because once... We really started engaging uh, and reaching a deal with NBC. I mean, I basically became no longer a boxing journalist, um, or at least one that doesn't have or that that has a conflict of interest. So I can't do this show anymore if I want to have any kind of integrity. I mean, I think it's one thing if you're working on pay-per-views. I've done that as a freelancer. I've done that as an executive. It's one thing if you're a broadcaster where you get paid by a broadcasting entity to give your opinion on the air, and then you also have a podcast that lives elsewhere. But I'm going back to being an executive in the sport of boxing. And I think once that happens, I just can't talk about this stuff that I talk about on the show as a journalist. Uh, It's an important distinction. So I won't be going over the readings in detail. Um, I mean, I've, I'll say I liked the fact that on Sunday Fox put 
on an NFL preview show that gave PPC a much better lead-in than anything they've gotten in August. And that did help. They got their highest rating and their most watched. Um, and it was the most watched boxing event since the pandemic started. Um, but I'm not going to go over that stuff. Instead, what I'm going to do is go over some basic concepts that, you know, shouldn't be forgotten as we talk about boxing ratings moving forward. You know, one of the things that I've tried to drive home in this discussion is boxing right now has four different broadcasters with really five different business models. So when we talk about ratings, it's all about context. That's why when we sit here and talk about Fox ratings, they're different from Showtime and different from ESPN. And we don't even get ratings for ESPN Plus and DAZN. And it's not just total viewers. Remember, if you are at Fox, yes, Fox does get some distribution fees. They've gotten more as the years going on. They did. I don't even think they, when I started doing the show, I'm not even sure they got them or, or they were in their first year or two of getting them. But in general, at the higher levels of Fox and Fox Sports, specifically for this discussion, what this boils down to is they look at a show. They don't care if it's PBC on Fox. They don't care if it's NFL on Fox. They don't care if it's NASCAR. And here's what they do. They say, what was the rating? What did it rate? What are the demos? Was it quality programming? Can we sell ads against it? And that's pretty much it at the very highest levels. You know, I've talked a lot about the ratings for this and a lot about demos. But that's pretty much what the discussion is. You know, I'm not going to sit here and comment on it anymore. I mean, Fox, obviously, you know, there's there's stuff that's just obvious. Like, there's no college football this fall for Fox. They unfortunately had the two, you know, <laughs> the two conferences that aren't trying to put on football. There's less football on ESPN, but there's like really not much at all. I'm, I'm not even sure if there is any on Fox. There might be some. What's the difference between Fox and ESPN? You know, if you're looking, if, you, if you're looking at my show, like why can Fox get 1.3 million viewers? And I sit here and say, that's not at all great, but ESPN does 750,000 and it's actually an okay number. Well, ESPN sells ads just like Fox does. But ESPN is cable and gets like $10 a month per subscriber just to turn on all the lights for the ESPN channels you get if you subscribe to cable or satellite. Fox, like I said, they do get some fees. They don't get anything close to that. So like that's not just hundreds of millions. That's like, you know, more than that. We're in the B's. In terms of, we're in billions in terms of the revenue that ESPN gets per year just from cable affiliate fees. So, and, and, and we'll just take it one step further from this 30,000 foot view. I'll kind of give you like an entertainment example of why, why this matters in terms of cable. So... When AMC was starting out as a cable company, it struggled to get a decent monthly fee from cable companies. Um, or when it was starting as a cable channel is probably the better way of describing it. Um, so AMC's furiously trying to develop TV shows, and eventually it puts on Mad Men, which got 
really good numbers, but back then at the time, like nothing incredible, just in terms of pro, you know pure raw viewing numbers and, and, and pure amount of people watching. But it was a huge critical hit, and it had a very loyal fan base. And so why is that important? Well, AMC used it to leverage with the cable companies to initially get on a better tier of cable options, i.e., like it wasn't buried in your normal pricing tier. If you got anything out of like the basic cable package, AMC was part of that. And then they used it to get a better monthly fees because essentially what happens when you have one hit show like that is if the cable company is getting a dispute with AMC over the price, if the cable company decides not to show AMC, they will hear from all the Mad Men fans who are going to call them and say, I don't care if you have to pay more for that. I want my show back on. That was the whole, I mean, now it's Walking Dead and all these huge hits that get huge numbers. But like when you're, when you're a, cable channel like that's your goal your goal is to develop one hit like that with loyal fans what does that mean for boxing well i'm using an example of of why the cable system is just such a different financial model and why the numbers they don't need to do as good of numbers and for espn this is obviously like they worked monday night football in as leverage with the cable companies specifically to get these large fees. That's their leverage. To a lesser extent, college football, NBA, that's their leverage. Same thing with Turner. March Madness, NBA. You can't really, as a cable company, like a Comcast or a Spectrum, you can't mess with those channels because they have extremely loyal fans. And you will hear from it if Turner isn't part of your package, you will, you will hear from people if there's a, if ESPN, you know, isn't accessible to people who subscribe to cable. And I'm not suggesting boxing has done that for ESPN, but they don't need to put the same amount of pressure on their ad sales team as a network like Fox does. I haven't really dug into that. I guess in the last year or so, but like, I, I would like to think I talked about this part early on. Like these are different, different models. And so when you're comparing top rank boxing on ESPN compared to PBC on Fox, yeah, they're similar in a lot of ways, but that's a pretty important distinction financially. So when you're in the room at ESPN on the highest level, the questions are pretty similar to Fox, but they're, they're still different. Like clearly does the program rate? That's the first question anyone asks. Is it good quality? You know, can we sell ads against it? But it's also, does it have a loyal fan base? That loyal fan base, you know, what, what are the demos? And ESPN as a channel just gets different, has a different core demographic than Fox. You know, and quite frankly, probably a better one in terms of what ad sales people care about maybe not as good overall for the sport of boxing in some respects, but those are subtle differences. But that loyal fan base, that starts to become a question. Maybe not a super important one yet, but then when you go to 
ESPN Plus and DAZN, that becomes almost a, you know, the critical question. To a certain extent, Showtime too. Does it have a loyal fan base? Once you're paying a monthly fee, whether there's ads on it or not, the fan base questions become critical. How loyal is it? Are they okay paying this monthly fee or a yearly fee for, for this product? And the UFC is like the, the classic example here for ESPN+. Plus. I mean, boxing obviously has not seen the same kind of success that UFC has seen for, for a variety of reasons. I mean, UFC has much larger market share of MMA than top-ranked boxing does, you know, of, of boxing. But um, the major success point in terms of a sport here is, is UFC and ESPN+. Plus. And then, you know, that and the bundle are by far the two most important things in touting the growth of ESPN+. Plus. You know, and with Showtime, too, I mean, it they have always cared about how loyal the fan base, and that's probably the most important question. They probably care a lot more about that than the actual Nielsen rating of any broadcast. At HBO, it was certainly that way. I mean, no one is selling ads here. This is about customer satisfaction. You know, and these are like basic foundational sort of, I mean, almost principles of what I've talked about on my show when I look at ratings and interpret deals that have gotten made. So I'm not looking at ratings. That that's my that's my overall take on ratings. I mean. If I would were to have done a deep dive this episode, it would totally have been about what's happening at the zone. And I mean, I'll say a couple things, like sort of same deal from the thirty thousand foot level. Um, you know, first of all, like the boxing world, at least the world of you know, certainly the world of social media fans, like they want to look at the ramifications of these moves in terms of the boxing landscape, and that's not where. I go first, and probably most people in the industry. I mean, like, you know, remember, since I've started this podcast, this is the second time there have been significant layoffs. Um, and, you know, the first thing is, like, I mean, these are people who have lost their jobs. I mean, many of them have significant institutional knowledge of the boxing world. And, uh, you know, probably a lot of them will either, if they work in sports, after this it won't be in boxing, or they may not even work in sports anymore. I mean, that, that's kind of what happened to me. And that institutional knowledge is just gone. You know, and I mean, obviously for me, a lot of them are personal friends or they're people that I had a very close professional relationship with, you know, or people that I just had a very courteous professional relationship with. I mean, so these are, these are people first, I mean, obviously who have families and they're going to have hard choices to make because of this. And I mean, most of them worked on boxing, not because... It was the most lucrative place to work. They just really loved it, and they loved their job. So that that part, um, I mean, sucks for all parties involved. I mean, second, you know, in terms of the thirty thousand foot view for DAZN, I don't think DAZN is getting out of boxing completely. I mean, it's something I've said before. It's not. It's clearly not new analysis. Um, they've clearly shown they want to continue their relationship with Eddie Hearn in some level. I mean, I don't know what that means in terms of a U.S. presence. Um, we don't know anything other than that. I mean, it clearly means that 
they're not planning on having anything other than like a skeleton U.S. office of execs. Um, you know, and normally I'd be talking about this one, not just the layoffs, but the lawsuit. I mean, I would probably be talking about this for 30, 45 minutes on this episode. Um, <clears throat> you know, but I mean, again, like I am now an executive at a company that is putting on live boxing on TV and not on zone. So we're just going to take a, you know, 30,000 foot view again. So this lawsuit, I mean, this happens in boxing more than the boxing community would like. And I think there's a lot of ways to look at this because you, there's just a lot of different viewpoints to look at it from. Like if you're at the zone, you want to make sure that you have certain approvals. And I mean, here's the weird thing, like from what I've heard so far in terms of the deal structure, even though before this, it probably, most people would have probably thought DAZN did not have approval, but in a roundabout way, what we're seeing here is they clearly did have some level of approval. I mean, there's a lot of discussion about what the word premier opponent means. Um, and I think, especially when you look at like who DAZN was listing as premier opponents, you know, there's these MMA fighters, Masvidal or Khabib or Oscar and, you know, look, this is all leaked information, so who knows if where the truth lies with it or something. You know, I, I haven't spent a lot of time trying to get information or, or dig deep into this because, I kinda, you know, I, like I said, I, it, it's not what I'm, it's not what I should be doing anymore. Um, <clears throat> you know, are those dumb decisions in terms of putting on competitive boxing? Yes. Um, are they potentially fights that would sell well in terms of subscriptions? Yeah, they probably are. But I think actually, I think the more, in, the thing, the way I would look at it is DAZN clearly had some level of approval with Golden Boy. And let's just say I'm using an example. Let's say their approval of six fighters for a Canelo opponent. Well, if you make three of them MMA fighters, and you know that UFC won't let them out of an exclusive contract. And maybe if you make one of them Oscar or whatever, what that really is, is DAZN telling Golden Boy, oh, you want six fighters on the list? Well, now we just reduced it to two or three. Because really all we want is Golovkin, and you haven't delivered that. So as ridiculous as it does look to see Masvidal as an approved opponent, that's, that's why. It, there's actually a real strategy to it, or at least that's my guess. That's my guess from, from looking at it from that standpoint. But I don't know where this is headed. I mean, I'm happy I'm no longer a part-time journalist trying to figure it out, quite frankly. Um, a lot of this depends on contract language. My guess is DAZN did something a little bit out of the box that HBO and Showtime haven't traditionally done. Golden Boy tried to use that as leverage because Canelo doesn't want to fight Triple G. And Golden Boy's deal is with Canelo, so their loyalty is to him. DAZN is probably still protected, though, and now Golden Boy is in a tough spot because Canelo is upset with Golden Boy just as much as he's upset with DAZN. Canelo wants to get in the ring. I mean, he has a contract with Golden Boy. Like he, it, it, that's kind of like a key but weird distinction. Like I don't think he has a contract with DAZN. He has a contract with Golden Boy. Golden Boy has a contract with DAZN. You know, the pandemic is making this very difficult specifically for Golden Boy because they relied on Canelo fighting twice each year to fund their company, both from a DAZN fee 
standpoint and both from the gate. Canelo really shouldn't care about either. He just wants to further his career, get paid what he was promised, and go fight. DAZN shouldn't care about the pandemic much because they don't, they've never seen any of the gate. No broadcaster does. But they should care about the quality of the matchups, and now they are exerting leverage. So DAZN is upset with Golden Boy. Not just about Canelo's opponents, but also delivering fights that people want to watch in general that have nothing to do with Canelo. Canelo's upset with DAZN and Golden Boy because he thinks they're not living up to the terms that he agreed to. Golden Boy's upset with DAZN. I don't know if they're upset with Canelo or not. Who knows? I'm guessing they'll try to make that work. I mean, this is a giant mess. Um, in the past... Sometimes these things have been solved and it ends up working. Sometimes it ends in a bitter divorce. But if I were to make, you know, again, like 30,000 foot comments, um, DAZN as a company isn't going anywhere. I think they just spent like $4 billion on German soccer and they're making a worldwide push. You know, boxing might deliver for them worldwide, but they're clearly taking a different approach that is much less focused on the United States right now. Um, you know, the pandemic has just shown us that a lot of things can change and accelerate very quickly in this environment. Um, and things that we thought were guarantees might not actually be guarantees. I mean, if I had to guess how it goes, I'm guessing this is all leading to a settlement. I'm guessing Canelo is probably not fighting in 2020, but he might be, you know, probably first half of 2021, I would guess. Um, I say this with not enough information to make a truly educated guess. Maybe he fights on his own. Maybe Canelo fights on pay-per-view. The settlement can go one of two ways. But he's, the, the, those are clearly the options. But would I be shocked if he did a, if you know Canelo and Golden Boy did a co-promo deal with one you know either ESPN or Fox or Showtime on on pay-per-view? No, I wouldn't be shocked at all if that happened. I doubt this is heading towards the Mikey Garcia two-year holdout, but it could be. It could be. I think Canelo cares too much. He's already made a lot of money, and I think he cares too much about his legacy. Because um, Mikey Garcia clearly cares about his legacy too, but at that when, when he started his dispute, he hadn't made the real money yet. Um, you know, I'll, I'll guess Golden Boy figures something out. They're either going to continue doing shows for DAZN that just need to improve quality-wise. That's, you know the subtext of what DAZN has, has basically said, you know, or, or they'll co-promo somewhere else. I'm not, you know, who knows? I don't know. Um, but that would be my 30,000 foot view take. Um, and I wish I could have gone in more into it, but it's, you know, it's just, like I said, it's clearly not meant to be this time. Um, and, and no preview section either. Uh, instead, what I want to do is just thank a couple of people. For, first of all, I want to thank uh, everyone who's listened to this show and, and engaged with it. Thank you for engaging and helping me. I've got some, I got some wonderful suggestions um, through email, through through Twitter, all this kind of stuff. I mean, you know, when I left HBO, I went to an entertainment startup um, where I started in the marketing department. And I, I missed boxing because it was the first 
this, this startup that I went to was the first work environment I'd been in. I think actually literally since I graduated college where no one cared about boxing. Um, and my wife and kid at the time didn't care about boxing. So I started this podcast. So, cause I just had a lot of thoughts on it and I'm now this is the 70th episode of the show. Um, and I've engaged with an awesome community of people who love boxing. Um, now I have two kids instead of one and my two kids and wife still don't care about boxing at all. But, um, you know, my life has changed dramatically. I mean, I've, I've gone from sort of <laughs> this podcast has kind of been part of my entrepreneurial journey. I went from, I mean, three years ago, I was still working at HBO, like the most non-entrepreneurial corporate environment you can pretty much be in. Um, and I went from working at a startup to now starting to businesses basically. And, and by the way, um, <laughs> if any of you are interested in watching a documentary on the Beatles trip to India that inspired so much of their late writing, exec produced by David Litch, or if you're at all interested in pay-per-view music, which will be of many different genres, either um, streaming or on pay-per-view or on demand, uh, please buy it. It will help me out. <laughs> but it that's been part of the journey for me. Um, you know, and this has been kind of the first vessel that has, has taken that and, and, you know, kind of where I've gone from it, you know, where I've gone with it, with that. I mean, in a weird way, this has been the first, this podcast is the first business that I did start. Um, and I appreciate everyone who's, who's listened for sure. It's, it's helped me out immensely. Um, I want to thank everyone who hasn't just listened, but given me positive encouragement. Some of that has come from people in the industry. Some of that is just random listeners. Um, I want to definitely thank people who've given me uh, negative feedback as well. Many of them have done it in a really classy way. I appreciate that. Um, it's helped me improve the show um, and just sort of improve a lot of the things I did. Some of it is from a technical standpoint, some of it, and, and I didn't, I had plans pre-pandemic to really improve the sound quality. I know that's that's what a couple of people have sent me really detailed info on that. Um, and a mix of the pandemic and, and me trying to get these things working just made that very difficult. But I really have appreciated that, um, especially the stuff that's come in a real classy way. And if, and if you didn't do it in a classy way, I still appreciate it. I really do. For different reasons. I mean, some some of the instances, these people have been um, they've been absolutely right, and they've roasted me for a bad take, like they would roast any other media person. Uh, and it was great for that to happen. I really do appreciate it. Um, in sometimes, you know, I feel like they've been wrong, or we're just talking opinions here, so there hasn't been a right or wrong. Um, but I've had to, I've been forced to articulate myself in better ways because of that. Um, and even if it's been really negative, I just appreciate helping my engagement and visibility. Uh, so, so thank you for that. Thank you to Dave Duenas for putting me on Leave It In The Ring. Dave simply doing that increased my listeners from what would have been zero to start out with to a number way more than zero before I ever did a show at all. Um, that for me has just been critical 
in growing it. Thank you to Gabe Montoya for also taking part in that from the beginning. I know Gabe isn't, you know, he's focused more on acting right now and not really boxing, but there's no doubt he helped me very, uh, he helped me out a lot very on, you know, very early on in this. Um, thank you to Doug Fisher for finding me and having an incredible dialogue about the sport and having the ring sponsor this podcast. And also thank you for never giving me a creative note on the show. I guess I did get a couple notes on how to <laughs> d deliver the show to, to uh, rings website, but thank you. Like that is something that almost never happens in the entertainment industry where you can just kind of do creatively what you want to do. Um, and at times on this show, I've been very critical of golden boy and obviously Oscar De La Hoya owns both the ring and golden boy. So that is a real credit to Doug that nothing I said ever became an issue. Or if it did, I never heard anything about it. So thank you to Doug. Thank you to, you know, I mentioned this earlier, but I want to say again, thank you to all the industry people who gave me encouragement or helped me out along the way. Um, and this is a lot of PR people who either was, was willing to talk to me and give me specific talking points or notes on certain things. And a lot of times I think, I think, um, this is something that's really underappreciated in, in PR people because, and there's some really good ones out there. Um, I'm, I'm actually not going to mention names, but there's some really good ones out there. Um, you know, it, it, and, and, and people know this. I mean, on the promotional side, you know, Tim Smith and Evan Corner are really good at their jobs and, and have both helped me out. I'll, you know, I, I guess I will mention names. I won't mention network names, but every journalist who is hearing me say this knows who they go to, to and, and how they help out. And this is like an underappreciated thing because many times I've talked to PR people, not just before I'm going to say something positive about where they work. But a lot of times before I'm going to say something negative and they'll tell, they'll help in terms of letting you know whether you're right or not. Cause I want to be right when I say something. Um, and that is an underappreciated skill set um, for a PR person who knows, you know, I think in, in writing, it's more like a hit piece is coming. And so they are going to try to, um, do their job as best as, as possible. Um, but I just appreciate it because I've been able to be upfront with these people. I've not been burned by them and I've gotten critical information. So if I know I'm onto something, um, you know, I'm going to be accurate with it. Um, finally, just thank you all again for listening. I mean, I don't want to say, you know, for whatever this is called a media career. Um, I don't, I hope it's not done. I mean, but as for the podcast in this format, like it's either done or we're going on a really decent hiatus. I mean, I hope with ring city, I'll be able to partake in some kind of content. Um, but like I said, up top, I can't do this anymore where I give a truly objective opinion. Um, as long as I'm working for someone who's actively creating fights and doing boxing. Like I just can't do that. 
But this podcast, I mean, when I started this thing, ESPN, Showtime, Fox, and HBO were broadcasting boxing. And Fox was barely doing it. I and mean, this was the tail end of the initial time by deal that PBC had with Fox. DAZN and ESPN Plus didn't exist. Fox was still doing UFC. They hadn't brought over WWE or PBC into the fold, into regular deals. ESPN hadn't signed their UFC deal yet. And this podcast is not three years old. Like I said, three years ago, I was still an HBO employee. Um, And boxing has gone into such a different place right now as to where it was. And some of that's pandemic related and some of it's not. Um, It has seen an incredible growth in television license fees. And now we're potentially seeing a quite a drop in, in, in television license fees, but maybe still more than where we started. We don't know. Um, but boxing as a sport has been in a strange place like this before. It's in a strange place. Now it's always come out. Okay. I obviously want to see the sport thrive. That's what I want. Um, and I think most people here do too. I think most people listening, for the most part, just want to see good fights. And they wanted to listen because I was giving them some kind of look as to what the thought process was for how to do that from a network exec standpoint, which, by the way, is different than from a promotional company standpoint. But ultimately, that's what we all want to see. We want to see the the sport thrive. And I hope it does. I hope it does. But as of now, I won't be doing this show in this format anymore. Um, And I hope to be to still be somewhat visible. But that's not that's not my focus right now. My focus is to is to make Ring City as successful as possible. and as for that, that that is me signing off. I mean, enjoy the month of September and October. Showtime and ESPN are going to be doing some really good fights. And I hope that we come out of this pandemic and, and things kind of revert back to the way they were. And we, and we see better fights and we see better matchups and we see more of companies working together and we see better pay-per-view sales. That's what I hope. Um, But you won't hear me talk about it for the time being. So from that note, thank you again to everybody. And I'm looking forward to listening to other shows and not doing my own show and just seeing what, what happens next. All right, guys. Signing off. Did you get what you was looking for? With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.